Well, we are winding up First uh, John this week, and so we're going to be in First John chapter five. And if you want to find your places there, we can. Uh, we'll get there eventually. We're going to be First John chapter five, beginning in verse thirteen. Uh, but uh, let me just kind of as opening up and thinking about what we're doing, because what John is doing here in First John chapter five verses. 13 through 21, is he is summarizing the main points of what he has been saying. And he is giving us the purpose uh, statement of the entire letter that he has written. And so uh, to kind of put that in our hearts and our minds, I I want us to think about something or use a little illustration here. Uh, The tallest building in the world is the Burj Khalifa. Uh, It's in Dubai, and it rises more than 2,700 feet. It's over a a mile, or half a mile tall is what it is. And uh, it has 160 floors and is twice as tall as the Empire State Building in New York City. It, It is home to the world's fastest elevator. The elevator travels 40 miles per hour uh, in this skyscraper in Dubai. Uh, The Burj Khalifa also hosts the world's largest outdoor observation deck. It's on the 124th floor. It also has the world's highest swimming pool. It's on the 76th floor. But the secret, the secret to the stability of this massive building is found underground. As I was kind of reading about this building... They had to dig 160 feet deep to begin laying the foundation of this uh, massive building. And they spent uh, a year digging and pouring the massive foundation that supports this building. The foundation contains 58,900 cubic yards of concrete. Weighing more than 110,000 tons. The building is safe because of uh, its solid foundation. And so John, that's what he's doing here. He's been laying uh, a foundation for us. A foundation for life and for, for prayer and for eternity. And, and he's summarizing that right here. And he gives us... Uh, several key things that we need to keep in mind and be assured of so that we're not shaken by the world, okay? And so I want you to hold on to yourself because we're going to be looking at about seven things, okay? And I I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, my goodness, the guy cannot give two points without taking 45 minutes. How long are we going to be here? We're going to rapidly go through these, okay? So you just bear with me, and every now and then, you know, if you'll just say amen or nod your head, I'll know that you got it, and I can move on, okay? So let's look at the text here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 through 21, and then I want to give you these seven, seven things that we know. I love it that John puts them in, we know So that we can be assured we can have a solid foundation and not be shaken by this world. So here we go. 
These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I love the King James when it gives the double emphasis, and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. The King James book uh, ends that verse. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. If anyone sees his brother or sister committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I am not saying that, we are, that he should ask about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. We know that no one who has been born of God continually sins, or it just simply says sins with the emphasis of habitually sinning. But he who was born of God keeps him. He who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourself from idols. Let's pray together. Lord, we just ask your blessings now on this text. Lord, we realize today that uh, we need your strength, your power, your might. So I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Give us uh, ready ears that we may hear and apply your word to our lives. And we'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And so let's look at these seven different things that that John is giving us so that we can be assured and not shaken uh, by the world. And the first is, he says that we know that we have eternal life by believing. If you'll look back in 13, he says, These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so John begins this section by nailing down the purpose of his letter. And he says that he writes this letter that we may believe and through believing that we may know that we have eternal life. Listen, there is nothing more important to know than to know that you have eternal life. I mean, we really obsess ourselves or concern ourselves over a lot of things that are not near as important as this one thing. And John realizes how important it is. And he says that we need to know that. We need to have that assurance. And so he says we can know that if we know that we have believed on the name of the Son of God. And if you remember... Uh, just a couple of things I want to point out is believing. If you remember when we talked about believing, uh, we, did, we said that it wasn't this fickle kind of belief that we have, but it's a, a, a belief that begins with such conviction that we could never believe otherwise. A belief that starts with such conviction 
that we could never believe otherwise. And so it's this idea, this rock-solid faith in Jesus Christ, okay? The person of Jesus Christ. So he says, believing. And then the second matter was the object of our belief. He says that we believe in the name of the Son of God. And this is not saying that we are to believe that uh, the Son of God's name was Jesus, and that is sufficient for eternal life. It's not to say, oh, I believe that, that the Son of God, His name was Jesus. <laughs> no, it's the idea of believing in the very nature and the person and the work that the name is attached to. So in other words, we believe that Jesus was and is the Son of God, that He came to earth, that he laid down his life for the sins of mankind, and that he rose again. We believe in the person, the nature, and the work that is attached to the name. We see something similar to this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter's preaching to the Jews that had crucified Jesus. And he presents him as the prince of life that could not be held by death. And it says that they are cut to the heart. And they say, what are we to do? And he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. What is he saying? He's saying, the one that you have crucified, the one that you have rejected, the one that hung on the cross, the very one that you wanted nothing to do with, embrace him. For the remission of your sins. Believe in him. And so the idea is the entire nature, person, and work that is attached to that name. Okay? And so John says by believing that, by putting our confidence in him, we can know that we have eternal life. And so the first thing is we know that we have eternal life by believing. Second. We know that God hears us and answers when we pray according to his will. <laughs> we don't only need to have confidence that we have eternal life through believing in Jesus Christ. We need to have confidence that when we pray, God hears us and answers us when we pray according to his will. I love this verse. Let's just look back at it again here. In verse 15, in verse 15 he says, And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Verse 14, uh, this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. There's just a few things I want to point out to you about this text. Uh, and, and three aspects. One is this. We can be sure that God hears us. Now that's interesting. You know where I used to get in trouble at when I first got married? By the way, I really enjoyed talking to Jeremiah and Katie and counseling them before their wedding this week because, you know, I've got 30 years under my belt basically now. And so, you know, you learn a lot along, those way, along the way and you can pass that along. One thing that I learned is I can't fix everything. Yeah. And maybe some of you guys are a little dull uh, like me and you didn't pick up on that real quick. Sometimes all your wife wants you to do is hear her. <laughs> right? 
Just here. Oh, I got in trouble so much because Melissa would maybe begin crying or something like that. And I'd say, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? Or either I would try to fix it and, you okay? You okay? And, and finally she said, sometimes you need to just listen to me. And isn't it true? Sometimes it's great just to be heard. To know that you are heard. Well, what does John say? We have this confidence when we pray, God hears us. He hears what we have to say. So that's one aspect of our prayer. When you pray, I've heard people say when I pray, it bounces off the ceiling. That's not true. Sometimes it may feel like that. Sometimes when Melissa talks to me, she thinks it's bouncing off my forehead. Right? But he hears us. Here's the second aspect. We can be sure that God answers us. Now for us, it's kind of like if we don't get what we're asking for, then God didn't hear us. But we need to remember that sometimes God says no. And then sometimes God says yes. And then sometimes God says wait. The timing is not right. And so not only does God hear us, but we need to have confidence that God answers us. As any good father answers his children, it may be no, but you can be guaranteed that that's the best no you'll ever get. And so God answers us when we pray. Here's the third aspect. We can be sure that if we ask anything according to his will, that he gives our request. Isn't that great? John says, if we ask anything according to his will, that we'll receive that. Adrian Rogers said it this way as he was talking about this text. He says, the prayer that reaches heaven is the prayer that starts in heaven. The prayer that reaches heaven is the prayer that starts in heaven. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give you... Y'all know that when the desires of your heart delight. What is, what is that text saying? It says when our focus and our heart is on serving the Lord, what do we find that we want? We want the things of God. What do we find that we ask for? We ask for the things of God. What do we find that we get? The things of God. And so delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. John says if we pray anything according to his will, he hears us and he gives us our request. And so there's three aspects of prayer, but we need to pray with confidence that God hears us and answers us when we pray according to his will. Here's the third thing that John wants us to nail down so that we have this confidence so we're not shaken by the world, and it is we know that sin comes with consequences. You excuse my stuttering this morning. For some reason, I cannot get my words out. Sin comes with consequences. Listen to 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother or sister committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I am not saying that he should ask about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. So there's a whole lot of there's sin that doesn't lead to death. There's sin that does lead to death. But, but the point is this. 
sin comes with consequences. I mean, we need to understand that if we're not going to be shaken by the world. Because what do we do? uh, We go out, we sin, we get consequences, then we blame God. And, And we need to realize that sin comes with consequences. So John goes into this difficult topic in verses 16 and 17. And he speaks about a sin that leads to death and a sin that doesn't. Then ends with the fact that all unrighteousness is sin. And sin has consequences for the believer and the unbeliever. And that's what John's speaking about when he speaks about a sin unto death and a sin that is not unto death. Sin for the unbeliever leads to death. Unbelief continually demonstrated by your life and constantly declared by your denial of Christ leads to eternal death. Eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Uh, when Jesus talked about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, he was speaking to a, a group of people that, that saw the truth, understood the truth, and rejected the truth. And I, I just want to say that's a dangerous place to live. To, to see the truth, know the truth, and reject the truth is a dangerous place to live. That constant unbelief leads to death. It's a sin unto death, unbelief. Is sin for the believer follows a course, and I would even put it this way rebellious sin for the believer follows a course. When you and I have sin in our life that we refuse to call sin and repent of as sin, follows a deadly course in our life, it begins with conviction. Isn't it wonderful? We sin and the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and says that we're sinning. Guess what? We have a perfect opportunity then to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. It is. It's sin. I call it sin. I I confess. The word confession means I agree with you. Say, God, I agree with you that this is sin in my life and I reject this sin in my life. Uh, What a wonderful time to do that. But some of us, like me, many times, we don't do it at that point, do we? And then it goes into chastisement or loss. Every son that God receives, every child that he receives, he chastens, right? He disciplines us. Sometimes he's disciplined us just to change our course, but sometimes he's disciplined us to change our behavior and our actions, right? And that he, he disciplines us through circumstances that come into our life, right? And consequences, Uh, From our sins. And so often, listen to me, you know it when it comes, right? You know it when it comes into your life. You say, man, I blew it. I I didn't uh, reject that sin. And I see the consequences of that sin in my life. The chastening of the Lord. Loss comes. That's a wonderful time to say, God, listen, I blew it. I know it. I realize it. I've been rebellious. I turn again to you and ask you to forgive me and restore me. And guess what? God's faithful to do that, right? But then if we continue, if we continue, it leads to weakness and physical death. you remember Paul in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as he's speaking to them about the way they're conducting themselves at communion and during the Lord's Supper? 
how they're not loving one another. They're not waiting on one another. They're showing preference to those that are wealthy and affluent and, and, and putting their foot upon the poor and the oppressed. And they continually do that. And he said, this is why many of you are weak and some of you have fallen asleep. Now, he didn't mean that they'd fell asleep in church. He meant that they had checked out of this world. And so it follows this course. Uh, someone said this. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. Sin comes with consequences for the believer and for the unbeliever. Why is that? Well, a, a righteous person cannot sweep wrong under the rug and remain righteous. Amen? And a righteous God, by his nature, cannot let unrighteousness go unanswered. Sin comes with consequences. And we know that. And we realize that. And when we know that and realize that and react to that, then we can stand and not be shaken by the world. Here's the fourth thing that John says that we need to know so that we're not shaken. We know that God keeps his children. Man, isn't that good? Let's look at verse 18 again. He says, we know that no one who has been born of God sins. Now, again, the idea here is that we don't habitually sin, continually sin, live in sin without any regard for sin, not call sin what sin is. But look at the next part. But he who was born of he who was born of God keeps him. Or in other words, he who is a child of God, God keeps him. You get that? God keeps him. A child of God is kept by God. And that's a wonderful thing. We can say amen to that. Amen? It's a wonderful thing. The great news is that we may sin from time to time, but we don't continually sin. And the evil one cannot touch us. That's good news. Let me give you three thoughts to keep uh, that will help us understand the wonderful security of this verse that God keeps us. Here's the first thought. We sin, but we don't sin continually or habitually. And we talked about this in the past. It's not the idea that we are sinless uh, perfectionists, but God keeps us even though we are not perfect. God keeps us. Thank the Lord for that. Thank you, Jesus. Here's the second thought. God keeps us from being as sinful as we are capable of. You see, the idea here is that the Spirit of God is refraining us, is holding us back. I've done some dumb things. I've done some wicked things in my life. But I've not been as bad as I could have been. You know why? Because God keeps me. God refrains me. And so the idea here is that... that we don't sin because God refrains us. He keeps us. He holds us back from a lot of the things that we would do. Here's the third thought. God keeps us because we are his children. And Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has us and no one can pluck us from his hands. 
we can be assured God keeps us. He keeps us even though we're not perfect. He, he, he keeps us from being as sinful as we're capable of being. And then he keeps us from the evil one. Satan would love to destroy us to hurt God, but he can't do it because God keeps us. Here's the fifth thing. We know that the world lies under the power of Satan and needs our witness. Look at what he says here in verse 19. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now we could say that. There's one way of looking at that. And we could say we're of God. And all the world down here lies under the power of Satan, couldn't we? And we could stick our heads up high. And I believe that's what was kind of going on in, in Corinth, the verse we were talking about earlier. They had this elitism about them. And we could look down our nose that we are of God. I believe that that's what Israel did, don't you? I believe that's what the Old Testament Israel did. They built walls around their city and around their faith, and they didn't share it with anybody else. And I believe that's where God judged them. And, and so we could look at it that way, but there's another way to look at it. There's another way to look at it. And in other words, there's a difference between us and the world. We are the children of God, kept by God, and Satan can't touch us. We are secure. Uh, the world is blinded by the God of this world, as it talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4, verse 4. But two realities should strike us because of this knowledge. And the first is this. We know the way to eternal life and freedom. We know the way. We know how to step out of death into life. And because of the love of God in our lives, we should share the way with others. That's first reality. If the world is held under the power of Satan, then we have an obligation to try to help our fellow man be released from that power. Here's a second thought, second reality. We know who the real culprit is behind people's actions. Amen? We like to demonize people. And their actions, and we need to look beyond people and their actions at times and see who the real enemy is. The best thing that we can do to help the world is share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Here's the sixth thing that John is telling us that we know. He says that we know that we need to guard our hearts. Last verse here in verse 21. I intentionally skipped verse 20 because it's going to be my last point. But in 21 he says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. And the last verse here in 1 John is a warning against idols. And you've got to wonder why. I think the world today we say, we don't have any idols. I mean, we don't build these little figures to bow down and to worship to. But we do in one way or another. The reason is we live in a world system and we must guard against falling in love with the things of this world. You remember in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Love not the world, 
nor the things that are of the world. For if anyone loveth the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And so we have this tendency to fall in love with the things of this world and this world system. And so he's telling us that we need to guard against idols. We don't need to make anything idols because it can really slip up on us. And so let me give you three things real quick, okay? Know your heart first. Know your own heart. Know the things that you are susceptible to. Know the things that can win your heart. Know that and be ready. The second, know your enemy. (laughs) Know your enemy. There's one out that is seeking to devour you, and we need to know our enemy. And then third, we need to evaluate regularly. Amen. We need to look at our lives and say, God, has anything crept in? Trying to take first place in my life. You know what? I, I, here's what I found that we do a lot of times. We trade what's best for what's good. I mean, we'll say, oh, this is a good thing. I mean, uh, this is a good thing. It, it, it's it's God-honoring, and it's good, and I really enjoy it, and I'm just going to feast and feast and feast on this. But God has something else that is better, that is greater, and we're trading what's better and greater for what's good and acceptable, right? And, and so we need to evaluate regularly and say, all right, God, am I where you want me to be? Am I doing the things that you want me to do? Is my heart where my heart needs to be? Is my focus on the right thing or am I exalting something above you? And so John gives this warning at the end to say, keep yourself from idols. Guard yourself from idols. We need to know that we need to do that. Now, here's the seventh. I'm doing pretty good. I'm going to save some time. I pray. We know that God has come to us that we might have eternal life. Man, it just feel my heart pulling when I say those words. We know that God has come to us to give us eternal life. Listen to how John says it here in verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come. And has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. God has given us, or God has come to us that we may have eternal life. I want you to notice some things that John speaks about. First, first he says this. He says, the Son of God has come. I I remember I was in New Orleans, and I was witnessing on the streets of New Orleans, and I ran into this man and woman, and and they said that they were homosexuals, that they they had partners and that they were homosexuals. And so immediately in my brain I had to think, you know, don't be sidetracked by the homosexual issue, Louis. The gospel's what you're here for. And so, first of all, I just zeroed in. The gospel's what changes lives. Okay? If this person turned away from their sin and didn't trust in Jesus, it wouldn't do them any good. wouldn't give them any merit before God. Stay focused on the gospel. And so, I just began, I, I, I shared with them. I asked them if they knew 
we were doing a survey. The last question was this. It was uh, President Obama claims to be a Christian. In your opinion, what does a person have to do to go to heaven? And here's what's the answer. So, well, I don't know. Said so, you know, I figure when we get there, Jesus will just sort it out then. And I said, wow. I said, that's a big question mark, isn't it? And I said, how important would you rate going to heaven or going to hell? And they said, it's important. And I said, well, don't you think if it's something that important that God would let us know how to get there? And they said, well, yeah, it makes sense. And I said, well, can I share with you what the Bible says you have to do to get there? Now, they had some other things, and we had to wade through that. The end of the story was they trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But here, John says it's so important. <laughs> Our eternal life so important that God himself came to us. He came to us. I like the way Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He says, uh, for Christ has also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the Spirit. And he's saying Jesus came for the sole purpose to bring us to God, that we might have eternal life. In other words, the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the Son of Men might become the sons of God. God Himself came to us that we might have eternal life. That's the first thing I want you to get. Here's the second thing. He came to give us understanding that we may know God. John chapter 1, um, uh, verses 10 through 12, he says this. He was in the world. And the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Jesus came so that we would know the way. John chapter 14, verse 6, Thomas, or verse um, um, 4, I believe it's 4, I don't have to look back. Jesus said, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And then in 5, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then in verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so John says that, that he came, that he came to us, and he came to give us understanding so that we would know the way to the true God and to eternal life. Here's the third thing. He is the true God. And through him and no other is eternal life. You remember in 1 John chapter 5 verses 11 and 12. In verse 12 it says, he who has the son has life. He who has not the son has not life. Jesus came that we might have eternal life. He came that we may know the way and he came. He is 
the true God, and through him is eternal life and not through any other. Now, what do we do with all of this information? Well, John's writing so that we'll have a strong foundation, so that we will know what we know, so that we can stand as the world is shaken. And so what do we need to do this morning? Let me give you a few applications. I really want to do it this way. I want to do it in the form of an invitation. I want to ask you to respond to some things because we're, we're closing up 1 John chapter 5, okay? And so we need to make some real true commitments here. So I want to ask you to do something with me this morning. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. And I know this is a dangerous thing for pastors to do at 9.05 in the morning. Bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes, and stay awake, okay? Nobody's going to be looking around. I'm going to ask you to respond. Here's what we're going to do. I'm I'm just going to kind of go through some things, and I'm going to ask some questions and ask for some commitments. And here's what I want you to do. If if you'll commit to do those things, I want you to raise your hands because nobody else is going to be looking around to see who raises their hands. I want you to raise your hands, and then at the end, we're just going to pray for those things, okay? So here we go. God hears his children, answers their prayers. He gives us our request when we ask according to his will. We should be praying and seeking God's will in prayer. Amen? So here's the first question. Will you commit this morning to be more God-seeking and prayerful? If you will pray this morning when we pray, God, I'm going to be more God-seeking and prayerful in the things that I do, would you raise your hand right now and say, that's going to be me? Amen. Amen. Here's the second thought. Every sin comes with consequences. But every sin is also forgivable through God's faithfulness in Jesus Christ. Will you commit to throw sin out of your life? I know that we struggle with sin, but we don't surrender to sin. Will you commit to throw sin out of your life, whether it's small or large? If that's your commitment today, I am going to live and I am going to cast sin out of my life. The little sins and the big sins and all sins, I'm going to strive to cast those out of my life. Would you raise your hand this morning and say, that's me. Amen. Third thing. Everyone who is not a child of God is under the power of the evil one. That doesn't mean that they have horns and they always commit atrocities. But it does mean that if they die without Christ, that they will spend an eternity separated from God in a place of eternal punishment, which is called hell. Will you commit this morning to pray for them and to share your faith with them on purpose? Will you do that this morning? Would you raise your hand? I am going to pray for them, and I'm going to share my faith with them on purpose. Amen. Here's the last thought. Jesus came that whoever trusts in him may have eternal life. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. Jesus came. 
You mean that much to God. He came that you might have eternal life. Jesus came to show us the way to God, to make the way to God. And there is only one way because if there was any other way, then Jesus would not have had to come and die and raise again. He came that you might have eternal life. And this morning, if you've never trusted him, and you are willing to commit your life to him as Lord and Savior, would you express that by showing your hand this morning? We want to pray for you also as we pray. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you that you've given us a strong foundation in the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we've made commitments this morning. We've made commitments to be more God-seeking and prayerful. We've made commitments to cast sin out of our life, whether it's great or whether it's small. Lord, we've made commitments to pray for those that don't know you as their Lord and Savior and to seek opportunities to share our faith with them. Lord, we've prayed to trust for the first time in you as Lord and Savior of our lives. And so, Lord, I know that you hear those requests because every one of those requests are within your will, your desire for us. And so, Lord, I pray that we leave this place this morning with confidence that we are the children of God and that you keep us Even when we stumble and stagger along the way, Lord, your hand never lets go of us. And Lord, the evil one cannot pluck us from the hand of Jesus because he has been victorious. He has triumphed over the devil, over death, over sin. So Lord, our confidence this morning is not in our own ability. It's not in the commitments that we make today, but it's in the God that we claim, the Jesus who died for us and rose again so that we may have eternal life. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would honor these commitments, that you would help us to live these out so that we might reflect who you are and that you might be glorified through your church For we pray and ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.